Hi, I'm Monty Zwieben, CEO of Splice Machine. You're listening to ML Minutes, where cutting-edge thought leaders discuss machine learning in one minute or less. This episode, our guest is Dr. Danielle Delat, a space systems engineer at Draper. Danielle earned her PhD in aerospace engineering from the University of Tokyo, where she researched space applications of machine learning. Before earning her PhD, Danielle worked as an aerospace engineer at NASA Goddard. Welcome, Danielle. Thank you so much, Monty. I'm so happy to be here. Well, this is great. Um, I love speaking to fellow space people, former NASA people. I'd love to hear your journey. Tell me about how you got to where you are now. Sure. Um, I was going for the most degrees on most continents that I could possibly do. So I was extremely fortunate to study aerospace engineering at MIT. They have an absolutely phenomenal program. And when I graduated, I started looking at what what else was out there. And I found this really interesting program in, in France called the International Space University, where we got a really interdisciplinary education. And that ended up being a theme for my career, interdisciplinary research and, and, and projects. Um, from there, I went to, to Goddard, as, as you mentioned, uh, then out to the University of Tokyo. Excellent. Excellent. Well, tell us a little bit more about your PhD work. Uh, what are some of the applications of machine learning for space? One problem that I was really interested in was a planetary geology problem. Planetary geologists are really interested in how old a region is. So for example, on Mars, how old is a crater or how old is a region? So maybe there's a dry riverbed that, uh, that, that's of interest. And so one of the really interesting parts of that was the interdisciplinary nature of the research. I got to work with Jack's professor, Elizabeth Tasker, planetary geologist, Dr. Sarah Kreitz, and machine learning researcher, Dr. Nicholas Gutenberg, to explore this problem and see how could machine learning help. Excellent. And from a planetary geology perspective, um, how did you use machine learning to assess how old something is um, on a planet like Mars or some other planetary object? That's a great question. So the way planetary geologists can tell how old a region is, is they, they look at the number and the size of different craters. So what we were able to do with machine learning is look at Mars imagery and count the first, well, first detect the craters and then count the ones in different sizes. And then from there, planetary geologists have come up with algorithms to determine at least the relative age for something like Mars. If, they, if you were looking at lunar images, though, you can actually use the samples that were brought back from the Apollo missions to, to do real age dating. But on Mars, we, we at least can do the relative ages. Excellent. And that imagery, what frequencies or wavelengths were, were you using for that imagery? Was that in the visible wavelength or were there other, other kinds of imagery being used? So we actually used infrared imagery. And there are a lot of different types of uh, data sets that you could use. You could use digital elevation models, for example. So uh, looking at how, how high each, each pixel is, or, um, or you can, of course, use visible imagery. But we, what we liked about the infrared is that there were less shadows. And shadows turned out to be a really big challenge uh, when, when looking at the craters. Because as you go toward the poles, the, the craters look more and more extreme in visible imagery. But infrared had less of that issue. Excellent. Um, how did you formulate the machine learning problem? Well, we started with trying to detect where the craters were. So we were trying to detect the rims and uh, and basically find find a, a circular or elliptical outline of, of each crater. 
from there, we used computer vision methods to look at the actual what the actual size was for each crater and then use that to bin, bin them and then determine the age. Excellent. Did you use um, supervised learning to label edges uh, that you knew were edges and use that to train models? Yes. Um, we fortunately... Planetary geologists have been studying this problem for a long time. And so there are some fantastic labeled data sets. And so we we started with a really incredible data set that actually had 300,000 labeled craters on Mars. And that was that was a fantastic start for, for our machine learning algorithm. Well, that is fantastic. 300,000 labeled images that were probably labeled manually. Yes, labeled manually. If, if you can imagine for each of those craters, in order to label it manually, the researcher clicks on three points around the crater or clicks in the center and then drags it out. So there, there are some tools that help you do that, but it is a very manual process uh, that we certainly benefited from in, in, the, in the machine learning research. That's very interesting. And now with respect to the techniques that you used to model this supervised learning problem, um, did you use uh, a deep learning a neural network approach, or did you use other algorithms? What was your basic of approach to the, the classification problem? We used a segmentation algorithm called UNET. And what's unique about it among the convolutional neural networks is that from some of the training that happens in the early layers comes back in the end layers. And so you there's an adding or merging process that happens. And so some of that earliest knowledge comes back at the end and, and helps helps bring the segmentation together. Excellent. Thank you. Um, with respect to the convolutional neural network, did you use tools to build that or did you build it from scratch? So we used Keras. And to be quite honest, I think if we were doing it again today, we would probably use PyTorch. But um, at the time, Keras was the right tool. And we were also very cognizant of our audience. So we were hoping that planetary geologists might be able to pick this up. And Keras had a great uh, a great interface in Python. So we were we were hoping to make it as, as friendly and accessible to uh, to planetary geologists. But I, I think if you were to start from scratch today, I would probably recommend PyTorch. Excellent. Yeah, I think uh, many data scientists pick their framework. PyTorch or Keras based on the, the capabilities and others are picking it based on accessibility and popularity. There are all kinds of reasons for these frameworks. It's great that there are so many frameworks now that we can use out there. Um, going back to the planetary science for a moment, why is it important to be able to recognize craters? Well, for planetary geologists that want to know how old uh, an image is, uh, it's, it's a great application. There are actually a lot of other really interesting applications. One that I'm really excited about and have seen papers on this this last year is on uh, looking looking into using craters as navigation. So Lena Downs from MIT wrote a, wrote a paper in 2020 called Deep Learning Crater Detection for Lunar Terrain Relative Navigation. And I think that's just an absolutely phenomenal idea because while we're, we may not be confident enough in that today, the more the more data we get as we return to Mars and, and the Moon, the more we'll, we might actually be confident enough to use craters as the actual navigation uh, for our spacecraft. So I, I think that's a really cool application. 
I, I agree. That sounds like a really cool application. Maybe we can double click a little on it just to help our audience understand that. So um, are you saying that by creating a better understanding of the location of all the craters, you can use them as um, sort of a guideway or a pathway uh, for path planning? Maybe. I mean, that's that's what's so cool about about the research. There's there's a lot of a lot that it it could it could cover. And we can kind of imagine if you if you look at a city skyline, our our brains recognize that, you know, maybe something Seattle or Boston or Chicago, usually when you're pretty familiar with the city line. But you can you can imagine something similar happening with craters because there are so many and so many different sizes that these could actually become fingerprints for different areas that, that a spacecraft might want to go. I always told my kids, grow, having grown up in New York City, that when they come out of the subway, they should look for the Empire State Building and look for other buildings down south. When I was a kid, it was the World Trade Center. Now it's the Freedom Tower. Um, so um, it sounds like perhaps when we're exploring other planets, we can have drones or other kinds of flying objects communicating with rovers and maybe giving some guidance as to where the rover is by looking at the craters. Is that a, a good way of thinking about this? I think it is. I mean, I don't think we're quite there yet, but research like like Lena's is is definitely a huge step in that right in that right direction. Excellent. Um, well, um, when you were doing this research on planetary geology and using uh, UNET and, and the convolutional neural networks underlying UNET, what was the most significant challenge you faced on that project? I think one of the biggest challenges was finding the right data set, both the right imagery data set and the right labeled data. Um, there are there are so many rich space databases in the industry, but sometimes accessing the data requires special software or detailed knowledge of the instruments where, that were used to take each image. So for that, finding the right people to collaborate with is key. And in my research, it was vital to have a planetary geologist. She already knew what how to how to access the data. She already had the tools. And that that turned out to be absolutely invaluable. A second challenge, once you've found the right data set, is understanding its specific strengths and limitations. So a specific example from our research is the global mosaic of Mars actually had missing pixels. So that required some thought about how to actually incorporate that in, in our model. Well, how did you overcome that? When you did find that you had missing pixels, what was your compensation method? Well, we ended up coming up with a very simple solution, which was to add the average gray value to the missing data, because the missing data was just showing up as, as zeros. And um, fortunately, our technique was was robust to the missing data once once we had applied that that gray value. So it, it turned out to be a much simpler problem than we thought, and the network turned out to be more robust than we thought. But the the training was really key to make sure that it could be robust to those kinds of those kinds of changes. So you had to create a pipeline that took the raw data, uh, smoothed out the images where there were missing pixels with the averaged out gray values and then submitted that to the segmentation layer. Exactly. Is that right? That's that's it. Excellent. Um, well, um, looking forward, 
What do you see coming next in space applications of machine learning? What's a big area you see that's coming next? Uh, another another really interesting example is look, using machine learning t- with satellite imagery to improve things like food security on Earth. So Professor Hannah Kerner from the University of Maryland, for example, does does that type of remote sensing uh, and machine learning hybrid. Yeah, that's excellent. We also had another podcast guest on ML Minutes that talked about using um, Earth-facing satellites in the infrared and also other wavelengths um, to find um, sustainable forests supplies in palm oil production. And also another podcast guest actually used Earth um, satellites to uh, talk about the um, use of the imagery to predict the amount of moisture in the forest and predicting forest fires. So I I think that's a fantastic area for future research. Absolutely. I think one of of the places that machine learning really excels is when you have huge amounts of data and a specific problem. And I think some of these, some of these things with earth observation are just absolutely perfect for that. Oh, that's pretty cool. That sounds great. Well, Danielle, it's been a pleasure. Thank you so much for joining us on ML Minutes. I hope you had a good time. Thank you so much for having me, Monty. It was great to be here. If you want to hear Danielle talk about her work on NASA's Artemis project, putting people on the moon, check out our bonus minutes. They're linked in the show notes below and on our website, mlminutes.com. Next episode, we'll be exploring how machine learning can improve patient outcomes and experiences in healthcare. To stay up to date on our upcoming guests and giveaways, you can follow our Twitter and Instagram, at mlminutes. ML Minutes is produced and edited by Morgan Sweeney, I'm your host, Monty Zwieben, and this was an ML Minute.